0: Thanks for reading that, Holden. Good to see you guys. I uh, ran into a lot of people that that said that this was their first time in the building, so welcome to all of you. If you're not getting our emails, uh, you know, at least monthly or so they come out, uh, this is a little card. You can just give us your name, an email address, and we'll keep you up to date wherever you live, so I'm just going to put them up here. Just want to make sure everybody's in touch. Uh, man, did anybody see the inversion and the clouds down in town and all that this morning? Wasn't that awesome? By the time I I was driving down and it was just floating up, by the time I got here, it was gone. Man, it it reminds me of those days in Dallas. (laughs) The the roar of the highway. (laughs) Um. As Holden said, we're in a series called Magnify. We're looking at stories of several different women in the Scripture, and it's beautiful. And in all of these stories, as we laid them out, there's this continual point to, to Jesus or to the Father uh, as who he is and magnifying him, calling him out as holy and righteous and good and, and great. And we'll see that in this. In fact, um, this is a very unique passage, uh, interaction Jesus has in the scripture, as you might have noticed while Holden was reading it. Um, We are coming up to this this point where Jesus bumps into a lady who is unnamed. And in this particular translation, or this uh, version that we get from Matthew, he calls her a Canaanite woman. We don't know her name, but we know her culture and society and her place as the Jews would have seen her, right? So while we don't have her you know, given name, like we've been talking about Mary a, a Mary, a different Mary several weeks in a row, Mary's from somewhere. That's how we knew where she was from. We don't have her name, but we know where she's from, and that tells us about her. So this is this Canaanite woman, and though the story is extremely unusual, it is expresses the heart of the gospel. So get ready for that. And here's the main thing that I want to share with you to to get across if I can. This woman is going to, in a very poignant and in some ways graphic way, illustrate and help Jesus illustrate for his disciples and for all of us to hear that we all have a place at the table of God. That Jesus is making a way for all people to come to relationship with God through faith. That is what's happening in this story. What I want to ask you to do is maybe just a couple of things. I want to ask you to think about and meditate on and embrace a place of humility before Jesus. Because as you can see, that's what she does. Think about that place of humility that we need to come before Jesus within. And then be renewed in understanding the tremendous mercy that Jesus comes to us with. So embrace that humility that we need before him, but be renewed and just encouraged in the amazing mercy and grace that he comes to us with. So three points. One, there is a cause of offense in this, and it happens multiple times. There is a crossing of boundaries. Jesus is going to cross a lot of boundaries in this story. And then finally, there is a cry of faith. All right, so these are the the three points we're going to divide this up into. So let's look at this idea of causing offense. So I don't know how you heard that as Holden read, but there should have been a moment that made you uncomfortable. There should have been a place, possibly, depending on where you come from and how you think in your societal perspective, that you might have been offended by what Jesus said. And sometimes it's a little uncomfortable for us even to be offended by Jesus, right? Those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we hear something like he calls her a dog. That's awkward. We need to be honest about that. How do we, how does that happen? So you should have been offended. If you're really listening, there might have been some place of offense for you, but probably for the wrong reasons. If you're offended, you are probably offended for the wrong reason. And I'll try to elucidate that, and you can see uh, if, if I'm right or not. So the first thing we need to do is we have to dig into this and, and see this from the, the situation which it was unfolding. So One of the things we need to know is that Jesus has been really active in ministry. So if you look back at Matthew 15, you'll see all these things going on. And Jesus is overwhelmed, and his disciples are overwhelmed by all of the people. So they decide to take a break, like many of you are doing, overwhelmed. You're you're getting out of your home. You're, You're coming to a new home to relax, to refresh, to renew. And this is 50 miles away from the Sea of Galilee, where he had been, around Capernaum. Okay, So... Anybody been on a 50-mile walk lately? That's a long way. you know. And he was on his way. Where they went was to this town called Tyre. And then it's on the coast. And then Sidon was just a little bit north of that. So they've made this big journey. They've, they're trying to get away from people. They're trying to, to stop the constant demands on Jesus. And his disciples are sort of gathering around him trying to create this. Uh, they go into this area. Uh, entire, um, and that's not like T I R E, like Goodyear, but T Y R E. They're up there, and in entire, uh, this is a region that would be rejected by the Jewish people. So, so, socially, culturally, the Jewish people who found themselves called by God and chosen by God decided to judge other people. Does that sound like anything we experience today? And so they. Uh, judge these folks that are of the north and they're, they're Syrian, Phoenician, this kind of person. And so the culture that the disciples and Jesus are stepping into is one that is not a comfortable one for the Jewish people. And so they're automatically reading this thinking, hmm, we need to judge these folks. And they run into a woman who is in great need, but she knows who Jesus is. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning, she calls him the son of David. So She is crying out, and when it says crying out, it means like she's yelling. Like she's persistently, like, I don't know if she's screaming, but she's making a lot of racket, a big scene, and it's uncomfortable with them. So what I want to do is I'm going to to ask you to indulge me as I read it again, and I want you to think about the offense that you might not have taken and also try to put yourself in the setting. So Jesus went away from there to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now we know what that is, right? And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. She's crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her. And his disciples begged him, send her away. She's annoying us. And he says to her, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, not you. But she knelt before him and she said, Lord, help me. And then he says, it's not right to take the children's bread, the Israelites' bread, and give it to the, or throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. So that's a fairly offensive situation especially for her as we read it from our cultural eyes. And I want to show you a couple of reasons that, that, is, that it was offensive, or we might see it that way too. Jesus acts like a typical rabbi. There were traveling teachers that went around and they, were, they had followings, and so Jesus is one of those. Right, he hasn't distinguished himself significantly enough to be seen as the Messiah that that happens a little bit later in ministry. But right now, he's he's up in this area and he's wandering essentially from their point of view, and he is acting like a self righteous Pharisaical. I don't want to have anything to do with you, Rabbi. Okay, so you see that in the the certain things that he says, uh, he he ignores her, you know, he gives her these sort of rude answers. Um, if we were to run into someone or see someone acting like this in our culture, we would totally be offended, right? They're judging me. Nobody here, nobody likes to be judged, right? We would think that. In the way he is acting, I think culturally today we'd say this is totally unwoke, okay? He is the opposite of everything that is woke. And that's what he is, that is the... Um, persona that he is sharing with this woman. See, the thing is, she's not the kind of person that he usually offends, right? Who is Jesus almost always angry with? The self-righteous people, right? But here's Jesus acting like a self-righteous person, right? So what's going on here? How did, and this is usually, when I study the scripture and I come to a hard spot, I'm like, I'm going to just skip over this and keep reading over here. So this is where we start to dig in, where we ask ourselves, what is going on? Because what we know about Jesus from the scripture and what God is doing through Jesus for human beings is that he is concerned about her. We know that, right? We know that because we know the whole story. Right? So let me, let me just stop here and just step over for just a second and say, as people, if you're someone who is a follower of Jesus or you want to be a follower of Jesus and you're thinking about it, we need to know the word of God. We can't just pull something like this out and say, okay, this is, this is what Jesus is. This is how he acts. But we know there is much more because we see more in the scripture about who he is. From Genesis to the end, we see who he is. And if we don't have information about who Jesus is, then we could be tempted to proof text, or we could listen to someone who says, well, that's what he's like. We need to have a good theology of who Jesus is, and in any area of the scripture. So I'm going to step back into the message. That was my little soapbox on, we've got to know the word. Here's another way this might be offensive, and it might be offensive to some of you for this very reason. It sounds like this is a formula for how to get your way with Jesus. How many of you have ever desperately prayed for something to happen? Well, if you're persistent and you make a big scene and you beg at Jesus' knees, perhaps he will reward you. In fact, in this case, and you'll read some commentaries, they're a little odd, I think. Uh, he says the dogs don't get bread from the table. And she says, no, they get some crumbs. This is a witty re- rejoinder to Jesus, right? Well, was she just witty and smart enough so he said, okay? Okay. Again, theology, we have to know more about who he is than to think that this is some way to understand that this is how we get things we want from him. Right? And we're going to talk about that again in just a moment. But let me tell you why it's actually offensive. So Matthew and Mark are the two gospel writers, or the four who include this story. And they both tell it pretty similarly, but there are a few little differences. But Luke and John, they leave it out entirely. This story would have offended the Jewish people, right? We've talked about that. He's in this place, and he's talking to a Canaanite woman, and these, all the rules, all the boundaries are being crossed here. So Jesus is in that space. They would have been offended. So why would it be included in Matthew's gospel designed to attract people to believe that he's the Messiah? It would have been offensive to the Jewish people. On the other hand, with Mark... It's offensive or with, with the story, again, not for necessarily the Jewish people, but for the Canaanite people, for people that are um, of the nations who are not Jewish. It's offensive to them because Jesus says, well, you guys are dogs, right? So there is this offense happening both ways. So in fact, just on that, that top level, it probably shouldn't even be in the Scripture. So why, we have to ask ourselves, is this story in the Scripture? Well, this is a story that's built on uh, Jesus uh, crossing boundaries. And we have to to go in past all the offense that's being created and we've probably felt to understand what's actually happening. And, you know, this reminds me, this story with this woman reminds me of another interaction Jesus has with a woman. You don't have to say it out loud, but I'm wondering if you can think of who I'm talking about. There's another woman that he comes in contact with, who's considered unclean. She lives in an unclean place with people who are uh, rejected by the Jewish people. Jesus passes through that community. And he stops, and his disciples are like, why are you talking to her? And We're going to go get some lunch. They're completely disconnected from what's going on. They don't understand. But Jesus is going to introduce himself to that woman as the Messiah at the well. Right? It's a very similar story. In this case, this woman, this Canaanite woman is not offended by what Jesus says. There's no record of him of her being offended. And he rejects her four times in a public setting. So she's like humiliated herself. She's laid herself out there, right? So you know whenever you sort of expose your feelings, your heart, and then everyone around you is like, that's not great. So the, the first thing Jesus does is he doesn't answer. How fun is that? Hey, Lisa, I want to re- tell you something. I want to tell you something that's so important to me. <laughs> Nothing. And then he does it. Again, the, the disciples reject her. He rejects her three times. So four rejections. Right? Get her out of here. Jesus calls her, you know, a dog. He, he doesn't specifically say that, but he equates her with that. And now, a dog in Crested Butte, like, has its own bed, you know, <laughs> like, a, it has a button and it lifts it up and it feeds it, you know, the, it has a groomer that's 24-7. So, um, <laughs> this is not like that. Um, This was a slur uh, that would have typically been used by the Jews towards them. So it's it's uncomfortable. And she is not deterred. She is not offended by that. She goes in and she bows at his knees, right? And this, y'all, this is where the incredible beauty of the story, I think, begins to become apparent. This is where the gospel starts to sort of peek through. The first thing she does in interacting with him is she calls out and she calls him the son of David. That's more than the disciples have done. She says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. What she meant was you're the Messiah. You're the one who has come to make relationship with God possible, to redeem us. You're the re-. She could have said, Redeemer. But she calls him the son of David. And she knows her true position before Jesus, right? I mean, honestly, the real position that she has and assumes is absolutely accurate. There is nothing that we can do to earn his favor, nothing. We are dead in our trespasses. We should be completely rejected. And she acknowledges that wholeheartedly. And she doesn't flinch when he's bold with the truth. Keller uh, says something about this. I think I have this slide. Um, He says, this, speaking of what she does, is rightless assertiveness. Something we know little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, Give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. See, she says, the tiniest piece of your bread is enough. The meal may be served to a whole bunch of people, but the tiniest piece of you, the bread of life, is enough. Let me read this one more quote from Keller. See, the woman saw the gospel, That you're more wicked than you ever believed, but at the same time, more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. See, these boundaries are essential to be crossed to see that it is only by grace that we're saved. Jesus is simply boldly calling out the truth. So we have this, uh, this offense, and then we move to these, see these boundaries that are being crossed by Jesus, and then this cry of faith. So I want to go back and just point out one more time that Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman in the region of Tyre in Sidon, okay? And then uh, Mark, I think he calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Okay, So he's isolating her. They're both really trying to isolate her as someone who Jesus should not talk to. right? All kinds of reasons that he shouldn't talk to her. But that woman calls out Jesus' identity. The disciples are still struggling with this, but she calls it out. I want to read it to you in verse 22. And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. That's the same knowledge that that woman at the well in the other story eventually comes to. right? She sort of seems to know this first. See, her her cry of faith is a cry of truth. I'm going to read these to you because I don't want to miss one of them. So here's, Here's the truth. One, she's motivated, motivated by her personal need. There's nothing like a mama bear whose kid is suffering. She's motivated by personal need to come to Jesus. She believes Jesus can do what she's asking. She knows that she is the wrong person and unworthy on multiple levels. She knows he is the Messiah, whether he heals or whether he doesn't heal. Right? She starts with that. Not, I'll believe if you're the Messiah. And she goes before him in all those things in truth. Those, are, those items are true. So the question becomes when does Jesus heal? When does God do something that we ask so desperately for him to do? Well, I'll, I'll tell you uh, the answer He always heals. Always, the entire story of Jesus, from beginning in the Hebrew Scripture to the very end, is that He is making all things new. He will make all things new. I don't know if uh, many of you know Gracie or knew Gracie. She's uh, she would come to church, and she was confined to a wheelchair. And sometimes she would sing really loudly. (laughs) And it wasn't really singing, but for her it was. Or I'd be speaking and she'd just be yelling, you know, just, uh, she was confined. She was uh, uh, suffering. Her family suffered. And she wasn't always like that. She was a a normal baby girl until the disease kicked in. Uh, And she uh, was a part of our body. Uh, and last September, um, I got a message from her dad, uh, and I knew that uh, they had prayed, you know, for her healing, especially when it had set her disease had set on early. But uh, he sent me this. He said, "Gracie joined the Lord." This was last September, 1.15 uh, a.m., September eighth, twenty eighteen. She left gracefully and peacefully in her hospital bed with 30 friends and family singing Amazing Grace. God will be giving her her very strong legs and a new body because she will be carrying a very heavily jeweled crown. God orchestrated her departure in his perfect timing, and we will be meeting her there one day soon. We messaged back and forth a little bit um, just about that whole thing, and he said, Hey, let me send you this picture. This is, what, this is what Gracie feels like now. You see that very well? <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, because she's made new. The timing for this woman was right then. This was a rare thing where Jesus says, your child is healed and he doesn't go there, right? It happens from a distance, happens automatically. She goes back and finds her daughter healed. Jesus is making all things new. We know this from the scripture. The timing may not align, but we can go to him and trust him. Let me ask uh, the musicians to come back up and I'll close with this. Um, I think the most disturbing thing about this story is that Jesus equates this woman with a dog. I think that's rough. I think it's hard to, to see. If you were to read it to a friend in the coffee shop and that's all you read, they might say, I don't get this and I don't want to have anything to do with it. But like I said, Jesus is brutally, truthfully unveiling the gospel to her. And she is helping him do it by interacting with him in this way. See, we can't be good enough. We can't be worthy. But he loves us so much and has so much compassion and so much grace towards us that he grants us and her not just a crumb but a place at the table. Think about that. She has a place at the table because she believes. And I'll just leave you with this thought. The Son of Man became a dog so that we dogs could be brought to the table.